The Dragon's Child, a story of Angel Island, by Lawrence Yep. Chapter 6. Hong Kong. Question. What did you think of Hong Kong? Pop. I never saw anything like it before. I was just this little hick from the countryside. I huddled under the umbrella as the rain rattled against the oiled paper. I'd been on this road once before when I'd gone to town. I had a photograph taken to send to father. Up until then, I had always been in sight of my home. Now, I was going to go far beyond that. The heavy rain hid the passing villages behind a silvery curtain. Houses seemed like paper cutouts. Despite the weather, Father began to quiz me again. If you can do it under the worst conditions, you can do it anywhere, he said. I did my best to answer, but sometimes the wind drove the rain into my face and I spluttered. A sudden gust twisted my umbrella inside out and snapped a quarter of the ribs. Father had managed to save his own. He gave it to me now. I tried to share it, but I could only cover half of him. Water poured off his hat brim on his exposed side. Even then, he kept questioning me. The cart let us off at the railroad station. The rain crashed down even harder as we boarded the train. It was as if the sky wanted to keep me here, but the locomotive was too powerful. This was my first train ride. As the engine chugged along, I pressed my nose excitedly against the window, trying to see the landscape. There was so much water splashing against the glass that everything was blurred. Father said it was a good thing because there were bandits all around. They wouldn't be able to rob the train. Every now and then, I glimpsed burned houses, even villages, through the silvery curtain. Was it a feuding clan or bandits or soldiers who had set them on fire? But seeing the destruction made me realize mother was right. We needed more American silver dollars. They would protect the family like a magic charm. With them, we could bribe our enemies or we could rebuild. If I passed my test, if I spoke clearly, that thought made me so scared that I started to stutter again while I rehearsed my answers. Father looked anxious. I wondered if he was already sorry he had taken me along. We switched trains in Toysan, like green snakes seeking a meal. Tree-covered mountain ranges wriggled toward the city from several angles. To the northwest, a tall pagoda rose like a fang from the highest peak 
of one range. The drenched houses were pressed together like ducks about to be eaten. I'd never seen so many tall houses. Some were two or even three stories high. But Father said I should wait until I saw San Francisco. After riding for a while, we changed trains again, getting off at another city. There we boarded a steamer. I had my first train rides. Now it was my first time on a boat. I wanted to go out on deck, but it was too wet. Father said I would soon get my fill of ships. When the boat got within sight of Hong Kong, I couldn't see how any city could be bigger. Though there were farms around its borders, buildings covered the hills. Even on flat land, they would have towered over the hills near our village. Some of Hong Kong's structures looked as big as mountains, and there were so many of them. It looked as if a flock of stone and wooden ducks had settled on the slope. Father saw my wide eyes and understood what I was thinking. Hong Kong's nothing, boy, he boasted. In San Francisco, the buildings are even taller. Father seemed to think everything was bigger and better in San Francisco. And all the people. I didn't know there were that many people in the world. They jammed the wet streets. It was late afternoon. The rain had stopped, so pedestrians had put away their umbrellas. Some of the men sweated in robes and vests. Black Chinese caps fit their skulls tightly. However, many of the townsmen wore Western-style felt hats on their heads, as father had when he'd first come home. Some of them wore straw hats. The Western brims stuck out. I had no trouble sticking close to father because he couldn't have rushed if he wanted to. It was just too crowded. Grab my vest, boy, he said. His arms were full since he was carrying our bedding and the suitcase. I clung to his clothing with one hand. With the other, I held on to my box tightly. I bumped into Father's back when he stopped suddenly before a tall building. The sign said it was some kind of company. As on many other signs, there were words in Chinese, but the sign also had the strange strokes of English words. We entered the building and staggered up the crowded stairs. It was a very busy place. Panting, Father spoke to a clerk at a desk. You're in luck, the man said. There's a ship leaving for America in five days. Father nodded at me. I'll need passage for two. The clerk stared at me in surprise. He looks awfully young. He's very smart, Father insisted. He'll pass the tests. You're asking for trouble, the clerk said, but he handed Father some papers. 
When father finished his business, he picked up our things and clumped up the next flight of stairs. There didn't seem to be any end to them. The building was as high as the hill behind our village. How could they build something so tall? With each step, I was afraid I would fall. On the fourth floor, we finally stopped and entered a large room. The kitchen next to it was dark. There were a dozen men in the room. They had spread their bedding on the floor. Next to them were their suitcases. It looked as if they were all guests going back to America. One of the men in the room greeted father. Hey, long gone, he called. You can take these spots right over here. It was a man in his late forties. Who's your shadow? He asked, pointing at me. Father started to spread out our bedding on the floor next to the man. Ah, Lee, I want you to meet my youngest. He's going to help me in America. A man with a big wart on his neck laughed harshly. <laughs> He's too young. The Americans will eat him up alive. Ali waved his hand at Wartman. Don't pay any attention to him. He always expects the worst. You'll be fine, father assured me. He couldn't wait to shed his lovely robe and vest. Gone was the rich, important lord of the village. In his place stood a true guest of the Golden Mountain in a Western-style suit. I stared because it was the first time I'd seen father dressed that way. This calls for a celebration, he said. What do you have to be so cheerful about? Wartman demanded, rolling onto his side to stare at us. We're leaving home for that awful place. The Golden Mountains are home, Ali explained. He was born there, just like me. Wartman knocked at the side of his head. Native-born have no brains. Father didn't let Wartman's rudeness spoil his own good mood. Instead, he nodded to Ali. Can I treat you to dinner? Ali liked to laugh. Are you as tired of country cooking as I am? Father grinned sheepishly. I miss my favorites. We can go to the Golden Dragon. It's next to the tailors. I was tired, and being in a strange place upset me, so I slipped back into my old habits. But it's so late, I said. Through the window, I could see the sun setting. Father smiled. This is Hong Kong, not our boring little village. It never sleeps. He held up his index finger. And what have I been telling you? I spoke carefully. Don't. I caught my tongue as it began to trip. Stutter. With a satisfied smile, Father picked up the robe and the vest and led Ali and me outside. The street 
was even more crowded than before. Only a few men were dressed in as completely modern fashion as Father. Eagerly, Father made his way through the maze of streets, more at home in the city than he had ever been in the village. The tailor shop was still open. I'd never seen so much cloth. Just beyond it, the restaurant was bright with light. I'll get a table, Ali said, disappearing inside. Within his shop, the tailor was having dinner. He put down his chopsticks when we entered. Back so soon? he asked. You guests are all the same. As soon as you feel some country mud between your toes, you want to leave. Father set down the robe and vest. I'm returning the rental, he said. He looked glad to be rid of them. I looked at Father in surprise. I had thought the fancy clothes were his own. After all, wasn't he a rich man? The tailor inspected the robe and vest for damage. Satisfied, he put them away. On the shelves of the wardrobe, I saw dozens of folded up robes and vests for rent. They were all sizes and colors. You really looked good in this outfit. You ought to buy it. Father rubbed his neck as if remembering how tight the robe's collar was. I don't wear that stuff on the Golden Mountain, but you can make an American suit for my son. My dark cotton shirt and pants didn't seem strange to me. It's what all the boys wore at home. It's what the boys in Hong Kong wore too. I wanted to ask what was wrong with my clothes, so I pointed to my shirt and raised a puzzled eyebrow. Father shrugged. You look fine for China, but not America. I couldn't help saying to myself, is he ashamed of me? In the meantime, the tailor had already taken out a basket. Inside were pictures clipped from Western magazines. I couldn't read the words because they were in English. Father went through the pictures. Finally, he picked one up and held it next to me. Yes, this one. I stared. You're getting ch ch cheated. The pants are too short. It's what all modern young gentlemen wear, the tailor wheedled. The Westerners call them knickerbockers. Learn that word, my father instructed me. He sounded like Uncle Jing at that moment. I repeated the syllables slowly. They felt strange on my tongue. As I practiced saying the word, the tailor took out a cloth tape measure. Then he measured and measured me. When he was finally finished, we went next door to the restaurant. There were big, black, shiny round tables everywhere, and almost every chair was filled. I'd never eaten among so many strangers before. They talked so loud, too. Their voices were like the roaring of a river. Suddenly I felt shy. I pressed close to father. 
Ah Lee waved us over to a big table. It could have sat ten people rather than three. I had to fight off three different groups for this table, Ali boasted. When Father finished ordering from a waiter, I understood the reason. It wasn't the chairs we needed. It was the table itself. There was duck smoked in tea leaves and huge prawns with nuts in a honey sauce and beef and lamb and some fish I didn't recognize. Enough food for an emperor. I didn't know there were so many ways to cook food. The dishes covered the broad table. As father picked up a slice of beef from a plate, he sighed. It was nice to be home at first, but the food is always the same. San Francisco has spoiled my taste buds too, Ali agreed as he raised his cup of tea. To the Golden Mountain, he toasted. It's a place of tears, but never boring. Father lifted his own cup to the Golden Mountain and its variety from food to people. I ate and ate. I lost count of the dishes. Each was so delicious. When I was stuffed, I felt calm enough to ask a question. You eat like this all the time? I asked father. It was a little victory to speak clearly. Well, not all the time, but as often as I can, father admitted. Father must be even richer than I thought. I think your stays in China get shorter and shorter, Ali said. Father shrugged. You know how it is. Ali nodded sympathetically. I always feel like a stranger here too. I rehearsed my protest before I uttered it. But you're Chinese, I said, echoing mother. We belong to both countries, father insisted, waving a hand at Ali. So that makes us something new. His friend lifted one shoulder, but is it good to be so different? Sometimes I think you and I are changelings. When we were born, when we were born there, some American souls got lost and wandered into the wrong babies. Right now, the only thing inside me is plenty of duck. Father patted his satisfied stomach. That night, when I closed my eyes, I tried to pretend I was home again. But it was just too noisy. At home, the only sounds at night were the frogs and the insects. In the city, voices and carts and everything else were still merging into a steady roar. I couldn't sleep at all. Father, though, had started snoring right away, despite the noisy crowds outside. He was used to the din of the city, not the quiet of our village. I remembered again how everything in the village had bothered Father. He might be an important man, but he really didn't fit into our clan. From what he had told Mother, he never had. 
He reminded me of a man from an old fairy tale. This man had watched two sages play a game of chess. When he finally left the game, he found that years had passed in the outside world, and everything had changed in his village. He stuck out like a flagpole. So did father when he left the golden mountain to go back to our village. Would I stick out just as much when I returned home? Would I even make it to America?